Father God, we are grateful that you have waged a war and you have won that war over sin and death. And you have done that because of your great love for us. God, today as we open your word and as we are, again, for some of us reminded of your love and for some introduced to your love, would you give us eyes that can see, ears that can hear, hearts that receive this bountiful, great gift of love. And may it consume us, transform us, enable us to be what you designed us to be originally, vessels of your love, where we honor you and live through you. I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. It's nothing like the love of God. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing like it. And the more we are stunned by God and his love, the more we will long to be like God and to love as he is loved. When we see God's love and when we taste it, it's, it's amazing. And when you really see it and experience it, there's only one right response. I want more. I want more. I can remember as a child something that, that I tasted and, and ever since I've, want, I've wanted more. German chocolate cake. Oh, it's so good. Chocolate and coconut. Oh, it's so sweet. How many of you have had German chocolate cake and you know what I'm talking about? For those of you who have not, be warned. If you eat it, you will only want more and it will make your figure like this. And so will M&M's and that's how it goes, right? I can remember as a child, um, we would go to Florida and I can remember... Uh, early on, and even today, now as I'm getting older and I think wiser, I realize how dangerous the ocean is. But I am awe-inspired by it. To see something so big, so amazing, I, I just can't get enough of it. As a matter of fact, when I need renewal, when I need rest, when I need to be reminded of how grand and great my God is, there's nothing like going and sitting on a beach and looking at that great ocean. But can I tell you, God's love is sweeter than German chocolate cake. And it's greater and it's even more scarier than the ocean waters. There is nothing like the love of God. And once you experience it, you'll never be the same. And here's why. It's real. It's the, it's the most real thing in all the world. And, and if you ever get it, it's going to get you. And you will never be the same again. In our scripture today, what we see is what happens when God's stunning love becomes real to us. We are filled with hope. And so if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to 1 John. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. There's one in the pew right in front of you. Feel free to use your phone or, or tablet or whatever. And, and, and let's look at this scripture together. Again, this is 1 John chapter 4. We're working verse by verse through 1 John as we're discovering what hope is. And so let's all stand together. Benjamin Thomas is going to provide our reading for today. So let's all stand. He's going to read again for us verses 7 through 12 of 1 John chapter 4. So, brother, are you ready? Yeah. Awesome. All right, man, go for it. Beloved, so let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, 
that God sent His only Son to the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. The Word of God. Well done, Benjamin. If you would, go ahead and and be seated. You know, one of the greatest challenges for any of us to believing and being excited about God's love is the fact that that word love itself has been so cheapened that in some ways it's lost its punch, it's lost its power, it's lost a little bit of its meaning. We see so much stuff out there that's supposed to typify love. And we even say it about silly things like football and McDonald's. But then we see it on TV, what love is supposed to be like in these goofy reality, so-called reality TV shows like Bachelor and Bachelorette. And don't hear me saying, don't want, don't send me emails. You know, if that's what you want to watch, it's fine. But just understand, reality TV ain't reality. That stuff is made up. They're fed lines. The whole thing, it's just crazy. And that's why folks watch this stuff and they're like, this is love. That chick has been in a date with him once with 12 other people and she's in love with him. Why is she crying, right? I see why it's entertaining. It's fun to watch crazy, right? And and we see this stuff and we're like, so this is love. Okay, but that's not love. Love, love is powerful. Love leads to such sacrifice that it makes no human sense. I, I saw love today, and I'm, I'm sorry if I get emotional. I'm, I started crying at 8.15 this morning. I've tried to stop. We have two men this morning who were a part of family dedication, Joe and Clayton. Right after family dedication, they kissed their kids, and they left, and they're getting on an airplane right now to go to West Africa to take the gospel where there's darkness. You know what they would rather be doing? They'd rather be sitting in church holding their children. They'd rather be going out to lunch with their family this afternoon. They'd rather be putting them in bed tonight. Instead, they're going halfway around the world to people who don't know them and don't care to tell others of the love of God. And when I think about what they're doing today, it makes me think about what happened in heaven. The day God the Father said to the Son, Son, today you go and you enter the womb of a virgin. And you will live a holy life that other people hate. And in the end, you will die on a cross to set them free. And Hebrews 12 says, For the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. That is love. And it's stunning. There are so many words, and and every one of them just doesn't seem to be enough. And so this morning I would say to you, God's love is stunning. And if it's not stunning to you, you haven't understood it. If it doesn't bewilder you and embolden you and amaze you and scare you, you didn't get it. God's love is stunning. And when we see it and we taste it and we experience it, we're never the same. It gives us hope and it changes everything about us. And we see that in our text, what God's stunning love does. It it gives us hope. When? 
when first of all, it gives us Jesus' life. God's love for us is consequential. God does not give us love just for the love's sake. God, God gives us his love for a purpose. When Nicodemus came to meet with Jesus that providential night to ask the question, who are you? We know that these miracles you're doing, that they must be from God. God tells him, makes a statement that is significant. A lot of people don't see it and a lot of people don't get this. God has not come. Jesus did not come to make our broken, sinful lives better. Jesus came to give us new life. New life. Not a better life. New life. What did Jesus say in John 3, 3? Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, unless you have a new life, you, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being a part of God's life, the life of Jesus, is, is a life that has begun again. It's a new life. We are born again. It says, beloved, in verse 7, let us, not, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Jesus has come to give his life to us so that we can have his life, so that we can have a new life. And this life that he has given, he gives us a sacrifice to us. Friends, it's bloody. It's bloody. This little boy had won a competition he got to go see his favorite NFL team. And after the game, he was going to get to go into the locker room. And he was going to meet the, 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 the big player, the most valuable player of that team. And then he was going to get a signed jersey of that player. So after the game, he goes down, he meets the player. They small talk for just a moment. And finally, the, the player says, well, I guess I need to sign a jersey for you. And the host pulls out this real pretty, uh, you know, freshly, you know, iron jersey. And the little boy said, if it's all the same to you, I'd like to have that one. And he pointed to the jersey that the player had been wearing. And the player looked at him and said, you don't want that. It is sweaty and it's bloody. And the little boy said, no, I want the bloody one. So many people, they want the clean starch Jesus. They want the Jesus that gives out free food. They want the Jesus who heals sick people. They want the Jesus that tells everyone to be nice. Not everybody wants the bloody Jesus. Not everybody wants the bloody Jesus on the cross because it tells us something that a lot of people don't want to hear. It tells us that our sin is serious. See, here's what we want to believe. I want to believe this. We want to believe that our sin's not serious. We want to believe that, that, that sin's just this thing that we kind of do and we don't mean to, or even if we do, it's not a big deal. The bloody Jesus, the bloody cross, it scares us because you know what it tells us? It tells us that our sin is very serious and it humbles us. It humbles us to know that we can't save ourselves. It humbles us to know that God had to provide this sacrifice. It humbles us and it frightens us to realize who God is and what kind of God demands this. And it inspires us. Once we believe and we understand what the sacrifice means and how serious sin is and how great his love is, that love, it inspires us. It gives us a way of life that is loved and is loving unconditionally. It's a life that is completely new. It's a life that, that is not just a little better. It's brand new. It's, it's remade. It's born again. It's a life that gives us access to God. It's supernatural and it's transformational. And this is exactly what God said it would be from the very beginning. 
You go back and look at the promises of God in the Old Testament, and you see this is exactly what God said this life in Jesus would be. You go back to Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. He says, now I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What's he saying? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a new life. I'm going to take your old life and I'm going to remove it. And I'm going to supernaturally give you a new heart, a heart of God's love. It is supernatural and it's transformational. What does God do? What was the promise? Look in verse, this, this is verse 27, same chapter. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What happens? Your life is transformed. You now desire to obey God. You now desire to honor him. And how do you know that you love God? First John tells us by obeying his commands. And why do we obey his commands? Because we believe in his stunning love and his love leads us to give up our old life so that we can receive a new and so that we can live in him. We can live through him. Again, what does the scripture say? God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We are given a new heart. We are given a new spirit simply so that our life could get better. No, so that we can have a new life, a life that is lived through Jesus, through his spirit, through his love. And it changes everything about us. It shapes us. Write it down. God's stunning love gives us hope when it shapes us by Jesus's gospel. It shapes us. The gospel and this love, it changes us. Look what it says in verse 10, 1 John 4. In this is love. Not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be, you might want to underline this word, the propitiation for our sins. Please understand, there is no contradiction in God's nature. God's love is never in opposition to his wrath or his justice. The bloody cross of Jesus reveals that both are real in God. The bloody cross of Jesus proves that God loves us. Greater love has no one than this, but that he lay down his life for his friends. This is the love of Jesus. But the cross also proves the reality of the wrath of God. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why a bloody cross? Because Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Sin is so serious that it requires death. And this death is what Jesus gave us as a gift to meet the requirements of the law of God. Remember when Jesus was dying on the cross? Remember when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what was happening in that moment? He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. The wrath of God was poured out on the sinless son of God because sin is so serious and God's wrath is so real. And why did he do that? Because of his stunning love. Because of love. Romans talks about this. Romans 3, 
It says, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. What happened was, guys, go back to that real quick. What happened was in the Old Testament, they were all looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Everyone who is saved is saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Everyone who was saved in the Old Testament was saved by grace looking forward to the cross of Jesus. Everyone who is saved after the resurrection is saved by looking back at the cross of Jesus. In the Old Testament, God overlooked these sins, waiting for the day that his son would provide the final payment. All the other sacrifices were pointing to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Go, go on to verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, look at this, be just and justifier. He's just, and that's why his wrath is real. But he's justifier because he loves us. Justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Justifier of the one who believes. There are some who are uncomfortable, and I get it. If you take the bloody cross of Jesus seriously, it humbles you. You have to deal with the fact that sin is serious. And it will also change you, and it will shape you, because His love is real. This propitiation is a real deal. What is this propitiation? Again, it's a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end. God's wrath is satisfied in Jesus, bears it to the end, and in so doing, changes God's wrath toward us in favor. That's Grudem's systematics, fantastic systematic, and that is a great definition. The love of Jesus and his death on that bloody cross satisfied the just demands of God's law completely and justified us, and his love transforms us. You know, that little boy, two or three weeks after he got that jersey, went home, He'd put the jersey up on the wall, and, and it was like every day he'd come in and put his stuff, and he'd look up at it, and he would smile. And he came home one day, and he looked up at it, and he frowned. And he screamed, Mom! And she came running in there. She goes, what's wrong? I said, where's the blood? She said, oh, I washed it. I wasn't very comfortable with that blood. There's a lot of people who want to go to a lot of churches and not have to talk about blood. But understand, you can't talk about love without talking about the blood. The blood proves the love. The blood explains the, necess the necessity of, the, of, of, of what sin has done. But His love, this bloody love of God, it tells us that, that we were once under wrath, and so understand, God's not looking for us to do better. We can't do better. When did God save us? What does it say in Romans 5, 8? When did God save us? But God shows his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't because we were trying to do better. We can't do better. We're sinners. We're born this way. You notice you never have to teach your kids how to lie. You never have to teach them how to throw a fit. They just do it by nature. You have to tell them to teach, you have to teach them to tell the truth. You have to teach them not to be sinners because by nature, that's what we are. And when sin entered the world, so did death. And sin is so serious that it makes us dead to God. 
Ephesians 2, 1, and then beginning in verse 4. And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what did he do? He made us alive. How? He gave us a new heart. He gave us a new heart and a new spirit that's alive in us together with Christ, and by grace you have been saved. It is by grace, and this love shapes us. The way God loved us is the way we're able to love others. I don't know about you, but I wasn't looking for God. I was running from God. I was making a joke out of God. God was the punchlines of my jokes, but he pursued me. And you know what God enables us to do by his love today? We can love the people who hurt us. We can love the people who run from us. We can love the people who despise us. We can love the people who fail us. Why? Because God loved us. And he pursued us and rescued us. And so we can do the same. Because we're being shaped by his love. It enables us. Write it down. God's stunning love gives hope when it enables us to be Jesus' love. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we we ought also to love one another. And how did Jesus love us? With grace and truth. Jesus didn't show up and say, hey, (laughs) you've done pretty well. I'm just going to make up for a little bit of the shortage. No, he told us the truth. He said, you're sinners, you're in trouble, but God loves you. And I'm here. I am God in the flesh to rescue. He came in grace and truth. And that grace and truth changes us. And you know what it enables us to do? It enables us to love people who despise us. It enables us to, make, to, to love people who make jokes about us. It enables us to love people who would run from us. To love those who fail us and who hurt us. We can go to a sinful world and never be surprised. We can go to the people where we live, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at school, at work, where we play. We can go and never be shocked and always love. And we can give the same compassion and kindness that God gave to us. And you know what? We can do that here. Not only can we go and love a world that's living in darkness and bring light by living hopeful and being helpful, we can come here and we can love one another. We can love God and we can love each other with this real love. And it's not easy. I get it. I know it's hard to love me. I get it. I get it because, see, I've been saved by grace, but God's not done with me yet. I'm being sanctified. I'm not finished yet. And you know what God, you know what the world calls that? A person who's been saved by grace, but who is not yet perfected and is being sanctified is under the process of sanctification. They call that person a hypocrite. A person who has been saved, but still sins. That's a hypocrite. And God loves hypocrites. He loves us. He loves us so much that he will not allow us to remain sinning. He will reveal the sin so that we can be transformed. And we can love people who sin against us, even within the family of faith, even in your own family. See, that's what family discipleship is about. Tonight, we're going to launch our family discipleship ministry. If you haven't signed up, grab some, you know, fast food or whatever and show up around 530 
and, and be a part of this. We have almost 700 folks who are going to be there tonight. I think the capacity of the CC is like 800 around tables. And so we're going to have a full night. And what we're going to talk about is love. How do you love these precious babies that are such sinners? And how do you raise them to know the love of God? And it's complicated. If it wasn't complicated, we would all be great at it, right? I stink at it. Let me tell you what happened to me. Maybe this is what's happening to you. But we had this first child. And it was hard. Get no sleep. They vomit on you. They poop on you, right? You still love them. And you train them. And you kind of figure out what they're like. And if you're fortunate to have the one, but if you have another, you just think, oh, I got this figured out. And then God's joke, he makes the second one completely different than the first one. And you're thinking, wait a minute, the other one, the other one was an out. I would send that one to their room when I would discipline them. This one, this one's an introvert. They want to go in their room and be by themselves. You mean I have to punish them by making them watch football with me? That's punish. Okay. And then you have a third one and you just go crazy. But God's grace shows us how to love. God's grace shows us how to make disciples out of our children. And it also shows us how to make disciples out of one another. See, the only we can love each other and we're doing that now. We're loving one another in this group today. And I hope someone has shown you that you matter by shaking your hand or, or welcoming you or smiling at you and helping you somehow know that you are loved by God. But here's the thing. We need more than that. I need more than that. See, I need, I need people who know the things that have hurt me this week. I need people to know about the things that I'm scared about, that I'm frustrated about. And I need them to pray for me. And I need them to talk to me and hold me accountable and show me God's word. See, that can only happen in a small group. That can only happen in a group of about 10 or 12 people where we can have real love in real life and share it with one another. See, we can love one another. And, and you know what happens when we do that? We reveal who we are. Write it down. God's stunning love gives us hope when it is evident in Jesus' community. Look what it says in 1 John four twelve. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It's when God's love is revealed in us that people know who we are. It's John 13, 35. You guys know this one? Guys, put that one up real quick. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Here's the deal. They can't see God. I've never seen God physically with my eyes but I, I, I've seen the effects of God. And so even in the effects of God, I see God. The world can't see God, but they can see the effects of God. See, God's here right now. He's here right now. His spirit is here. We've welcomed him here. He's here. But you can't see him, but you can see the effect. See, right now in this room, there are signals going throughout this room that you can't see right now. One of them is a Wi-Fi signal. You can't see that. Other are cell phone signals that are, that are right now, it's, they're in this room. And in order to take advantage of that signal, you have to have a device. I have a device right here that will catch both of those signals. And it's amazing what happens. When I have this device that can catch this signal, 
it opens me up to a world called the internet where I read this week that if you were even a speed reader were to read every single page available on the internet, it would take you over a million years. In this room right now, there is a signal from God. It's a God, it's, it's love. And God has given us, he's given us the contraption to catch that signal, our heart. And we can receive God's love And if we will receive that love, you know what will happen? It will introduce us not to a world that it will take us a million years to read and understand. It will introduce us to a reality of a world that is infinite. And it will take us all of eternity to understand the greatness and the marvel at the goodness of our God. It all happens through his love, through the reception of his love. And until you receive that love by grace through faith in Christ alone, you live in the dark ages. You live in a dark world and you're missing out on the majesty of God. So have you have you received it? Have you been changed by it? Does it shape you? See, the more we are stunned by the love of God, the more we want of it, the more we are shaped by it. I think some of you today, it's time for you to catch the signal. God is working and he is giving you this new heart. It's time for you to now act in faith and say, God, forgive me of my sin. I know you died for my sin on that cross come alive in me. Give me new life. Some of you have received that. But for whatever reason, you've allowed that signal to get weak. Good news, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. But you can. You can weaken your experience of God's love. And that's what some of you have done. And it's what you're doing right now. And you're not forgiving those who've hurt you. You're not pursuing those who need your love. And you need that love in your marriage today, in your family, in your workplace, in your friendships. And here's the only way you can get it. Is you've got to get on your knees and you've got to ask God to do a miracle. And for some of you, it's a miracle in your marriage. It's a miracle in your life. Some of you, it's a miracle in the life of someone else. It's a miracle. You know what God's love does? It does miracles. It gives new life. It takes what was dead and brings it to life. It takes what was broken and heals it. It takes what was dark and brings it to light. Do you need that? Do you know someone who needs that? Here's the good news. God is here. And if you will get on your knees and ask him, God will do a miracle. Will you dare to believe? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father God, right now we have an opportunity to come and get on our knees. Some to say, God, forgive me and, and give me your love and, and change my whole life. Some to say, God, you've given me this life and I have access to your infinite grace and power and majesty. But Lord, I've not accessed it as it's needed. And so... I need you. I need you to renew in me 
your love. Renew that signal so that I might pursue you, all of you. And then, God, there are some this morning who need to come to you and say, God, I need a miracle. I need a miracle in my marriage or my family or my friend's marriage, my friend's family, in this relationship at work, in this situation, this health concern. God, in all, in all these ways, you have the power and you have the love. So may we now, by faith, receive this love and trust you with this need. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come and pray as we sing together.